All right. <clears throat> For the last two weeks, we've been talking about heaven, and we ask you to send us some, some questions. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. Um, <clears throat> probably uh, the, uh, the most composite or most thorough um, book on the subject is this book on heaven that Randy Alcorn wrote. Um, and uh, there's, I have an extra copy up here. And if you would like to read it, uh, just sign up there and we'll pass it to you. When one gets through, we'll pass it to you. Now, Randy wrote this book. And he tries to be, be straight with Scripture. And that's where Art and I are going to try to go. We're going to try to leave our thoughts out of what we talked about today. But even Randy has taken some liberties, and, and I shake my head sometimes reading it at, at some of the things that he's written. And yet, uh, he, he, he backs it up with Scripture. So anyway, we, we're, you're, you're welcome to take the book and to read it, and I encourage you to if you haven't. If it's not part of your own library, I would encourage, encourage you to get it. It's, it's, very, it's very good. But there are no travel brochures on heaven. We don't know. You know, when we get ready to go to Hawaii, we ask for somebody that's been to Hawaii. When we get ready to go to Israel, we talk to people who've been to Israel. And, and we get all the facts and figures, where to stay and what to what to eat and what to stay away from. We don't have that. Like I've told you before, I'm going to write a book on heaven. I got the title, God's Best Kept Secret. But that's as far as I'm going to go with it. <clears throat> but, but we today want to look at some facts about heaven from Scripture. So I've written there uh, that according to my concordance, Heaven's is, heaven is mentioned 234 times in the Old Testament. And it's uh, been called a lot of things. Heaven, heavenly, highest heaven, sky. In the New Testament, heaven is mentioned 456 times. Uh, Bible Dictionary defines it in three different ways. Uh, materially, talk about the sky. Spiritually, three heavens, and we'll say something about that in just a minute. And then the heavenly city being the eternal state, which is we've been trying to talk about. Um, now the next two paragraphs, well, one of them is straight from Scripture. And everything that we say today, we want to we wanna hold up Isaiah 55, 8, 9, which we've said, for my thoughts... Are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now the next paragraph is Bill. In reality, we're not looking for our home in heaven because we're too anchored to this earth. I think I'm correct. It does give us cause for concern when we're so wrapped up in the here and now. It seems that we're so tied to the watch and to the calendar. But our Lord's not. He tells us in 2 Peter 3, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Again, we don't know and cannot know the mind of God. So, with your Bible in your hand, we're going we're gonna to start with this first question. I'm going to say a little bit about it, and then Art's going to say a little bit about it, and, and we'll, we'll pause to listen from you. So, go to 2 Corinthians um, 12, and we'll see, we'll see about... Uh, 12. All right, now the question was asked, oh, 
Have you got something to write with? If you don't, I've got a sack of stuff up here. If you wanna, if you wanna write the answers, does anybody need something to write with? Ray, would you would you pass out some of those pens there? If if somebody wants one, there's Kent's. Thank you. Anybody need a writing instrument? Okay. The question was asked, <clears throat> can you define intermediate heaven? Is this a made-up term? Short answer, yes and yes. <laughs> okay. Hold your hands up again so Ray can see you. Okay. So, when... The Greeks came on the scene, and and um, Paul ran into this when he was in Mars Hill. They want to come to a conclusion, and we have no problems with with parallel thought. The Jews didn't have any problem with parallel thought. God was sovereign, and yet man had a free moral choice, and and that was okay. But the Greeks want to push it to a conclusion. I personally call it boxes. We want to put stuff in boxes. So in this particular case, um, let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4. All right, Scripture says, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up into the third heaven. Okay. If there's a third heaven, there's got to be a first and second heaven. So, theologians have come to put the intermediate heaven in a box. This is the place we go right after death, waiting for our ultimate home in heaven which is at the new heaven and the new earth after the Lord comes back and we receive our resurrected body so the answer is yes <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's true it's in a box that the theologians have put it in and, and, um, and yes it's made up <laughs> but scripture doesn't say anything about it Likewise, let me stir up a little bit more. You've heard the term age of accountability. That's a box we put stuff in. Scripture is silent when a child passes away who is young or stillborn or aborted, you know. But God in his provision, theologians say, they're not saved, but they're safe. We put it in a box. You see what I'm saying? We don't, we, don't have, we don't have answers from Scripture in these things, but we feel confident in the Lord's provision for these children, which we call the age of accountability. Okay, Art. Are we on to the next one? Or are you no, talk about that one. Intermediate heaven, I think, is, uh, it's, I, I would call it a term of convenience. Uh, just like Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's a very helpful term of convenience. And uh, I think it's useful as we think about the fact that those of us who are here now who will die before Jesus comes, we go to be with the Lord uh, in heaven, but that is not the ultimate new heaven and new earth, which will be our ultimate um, dwelling place with God. So um, intermediate is just a term of convenience. Okay. All right, the second question. In Revelation 21, it is said for... I'm sorry, yes. Um, I, I just want to inject one thing I was thinking about when you talked about heaven and children. Um, I'm sorry. Just thinking about one thing you were talking about with heaven and children, and my thought came to me was when Jesus... Uh, the disciples had stopped children from coming, right? 
He said, suffer the little children to come unto me, so such is the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven, as I recall. And I'm just thinking that maybe that could be taken literally as well as figuratively, because we have to be children in our heart to come to Christ. I get that. But I think it also means that, it, to me, it opens up a big door for these kids that are aborted, these kids that don't, you know, are, are not born for whatever reason. Just, I'm just putting it out there. Thank you, Bud. Okay, question two. In Revelation 21, it is said for us who believe in Jesus that there's no longer any mourning or crying or pain. How can that be when we know that some of our dearly loved ones won't be there? Okay, turn to Revelation 6. Look at verse 9. Okay. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there were given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were killed, even as they had been, would be completely so. Verse 10, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on the earth? <clears throat> Scripture says right here that they knew, they knew that their blood, they were martyred for the cause of Christ. And yet they were going to say, when... When are you going to avenge our, love, our, our blood? And the Lord told them, rest a little while longer. So that to the answer to this question, whoever gave it, there's a good possibility, according to Scripture, that we will know what's going, we will know what's going on down here. But this is where Randy and I maybe go a little bit different here. Um, he says he says this excuse me I should have had that queued up certainly in heaven we won't experience sadness but that doesn't require each moment's joy to be exactly equal to the rest Will our emotions be more intense sometime than others? I believe they will be. We will experience an ebb and flow in our lives. So what Randy's saying here, that the Lord in his infinite wisdom will maybe dampen that part of our emotion. I don't know. And the scripture is silent. But we will be able, according to this scripture in Revelation, know in some, in some part what's going on in earth. Now, Art, you clean up my mess. In Luke chapter 15, uh, there's uh, several parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And in that parable... Um, this is Luke chapter 15, verse 8 and following. Um, at the end, she says, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It doesn't say the angels are rejoicing, which is how we often quote it. 
it says there is joy before the angels. Uh, this could be a bit of speculation, but you could say those saints who are there who are looking to the outworking of God's plan on earth, that it is those saints who are rejoicing before the angels when one comes to Christ. And so uh, this would be perhaps another verse that would support the, the notion that there is some awareness of, um, of what happens down here. Uh, I think this is one of many questions that we will get to and, and even won't get to um, where we stretch the limits of our understanding. Um, we can't fathom a world where we would be both aware of perhaps a loved one who's not with Christ and not be sad about it. We can't, we can't imagine that because we're very finite creatures right now. Um, and some of that we're going to have to just submit to the mystery of God and, and uh, uh, assume that he's got it worked out. Thank you. The next question. When a person is brain dead and basically kept alive by technology, machines, has their soul left their body or does it leave once all organs stop? For instance, a brain-dead person may be kept alive a few days if organs are being donated. But when does that soul leave the body? I'm not commenting on that question, so I'll leave it to Art. <laughs> so Dan did some prep work for these questions, and um, uh, I have the, the, the teacher's copy here, uh, the comments in red, uh, with the Bible verses that we're going to look at in question three, it just says Art's question. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not sure that was totally fair. But um, there has been discussion, for, you know, since way before Augustine about the concept of the soul and the body. When does a soul get put into the body? And, you know, this is, you know, very germane to the abortion question, to uh, a lot of things, you know, and so we know throughout Scripture that there there are several places where um, where we know that God knows the infant before birth, right? Uh, and uh, we've gone through some of that uh, even in Jeremiah. Um, so we know that that uh, there's an essence of life there. There's a soul. Um, that if you say life begins at conception, if we're talking one or two cells, you know, where <coughs> physically is the soul there? I certainly don't know. Um, but this concept of, of life, uh, we've tried to figure out when is life there and when isn't it? And one of the, one of the essences uh, that I found uh, in Genesis chapter two, uh, in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. There was something about the essence of God that was breathed into man. And in our very first doctrines class at JVU, where, where Merritt and I went, Jane Denyer and several others, um, that man is dust and man is breath. That that's the essence of man, is dust and breath. And this essence of life that God breathed into man at the very beginning, um, it's, it's hard to know what that exactly was. Um, and I, I, I don't know that you can always distill it to um, what's on an EKG monitor or what's on an EEG monitor, the one that goes on the brain. But um, the way I have kind of worked with this, taking this dust and breath model, is that um, when, there's, when there's nothing within the body that could support the breathing, then that life essence, so to speak, is gone. And so if a person is, uh, the organs are still being, you know, filled with oxygen and so forth because of a ventilator, but that person 
couldn't otherwise be breathing on their own, then at that point, this this breath of, of God has has gone, and uh, and I presume the soul with it. But that's the best I could come up with. Okay. I defer to any better. <laughs> okay. Question four. Uh, we we move. We're going to need to move on. I think a lot of people are confused about he heaven. Many think that when a child or a loved one dies, they become angels. Is this scriptural? And this is a similar question that we had in question one about, uh, about uh, what we said about uh, the age of accountability. This is what Alcorn says about that, which is, I've alluded to. Clearly, clearly, this is special treatment, suggesting that there may be other acts of special treatment, including salvation, apart from the normal process of confession and repentance. Because of such questions, I believe that God in his mercy and his special love for children covers them with Christ's blood. So as we say, we, we, we call them safe and not, and, and not saved, but they're where they need to be. If you'll turn with me to John, 1 John, 1 John, which we're going to start on January the 1st. We're going to start with 1 John. Look at 1 John 1, 3. <clears throat> For what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed fellowship with the Christ and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So we're confident in Scripture that when we pass away we're transported to the intermediate heaven so we're just being moved from one place to another now our state is different you know but who we are is who we are now the question about angels we're going to have to wait for another day to do that because angels <laughs> Or everywhere, Hebrews tells us that we've even we even have entertained some, and yet we don't know about it. So we'll talk about angels in another day. But um, to answer the question, no, children don't become angels. Yeah, People who die don't become angels. Yeah, thank you. Um, angels are created beings. Uh, they are not birthed by humans. Uh, they don't become that way. Um, Totally separate. Angels can't accept Christ as their Savior. Uh, angels don't, I mean, it says in 1 Corinthians, we will judge angels. I'm not sure when that happens or why they would be judging, but, um, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no connection whatsoever. Okay, question five. Turn to Luke 9. Luke 9, 28 through 36. The question is, will we know and communicate with each other? This in Luke 9, verses chapter 9, verse 28, is what we call the transfiguration. And let me read a little of this. Some eight days after the saying, he took along Peter, James, and John and went up on a mountain to pray. And while they were praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing was white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He put his foot in his mouth, Bill. Verse 40, uh, 34, while he was saying this, a, a cloud formed 
and begin to overshadow them and they were afraid and entered the cloud. Okay, the question is, will we communicate with each other? Well, in this uh, scripture on the transfiguration, there was communication. And however, Peter and James and John were there, they heard it. And, and they were overcome by it. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, question two, when we talked about the conversation um, in, in heaven. Um, let me read you a little bit about what Alcorn says. Um, about here, remember... Um, He gets, from this passage that we read in Revelation uh, 6, he comes away with six, 21 observations in here. Um, and, but he's basically saying that, that, yes, we'll be able to communicate with one another. We'll know each other. Uh, John tells us in the epistle that we'll know as we're known. All right. Uh, and I think it's back to that other uh, passage that uh, Dad read about um, uh, how long are we going to have to wait? You know, there'll be communication. Okay, question six. I would like to hear a discussion on the, re on the relationship of the new heaven and the new earth as described in Isaiah chapter 65 and the one John described in Revelation. So go to Isaiah 65. beginning in verse 17. Everybody with me? Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the th former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I will create Jerusalem for rejoicing and for her people for gladness. And I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping, the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but for a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of a hundred will be thought to be accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of the tree, so will be the days of my people my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. I will also come to pass that they will call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm on, in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. When, if you want to go right quick to Revelation, <clears throat> it's not revelations, it was a revelation. Okay. Um, look at chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom of perseverance, which is in Jesus, was in the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of, tri of a trumpet saying write in a book 
what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So there are two different total situations. Isaiah is speaking from a, to a Jewish audience. He prophesied to them. And his counterpart in Ezekiel goes a little bit further. And we talk about the millennium. And we say this is the last chance, so to speak, for God to deal with the Jews. They're his people today. They have been his people through history. They will be his people. And he has yet to totally deal with them. So what Isaiah was talking about was what was going to happen in the New Jerusalem as Ezekiel puts it as related to the Jews. What Revelation is saying is what believers after Jesus died and he says I'm going to show you what's going to happen and he tells us chapter 19, 20 and 21 he talks us about the new heaven and the new, new earth. So there are two, two different situations. Isaiah's talking about relationship to the Jews. What's going to happen? He's my people. He says it several times in that passage that we just read. Where in Re Revelation, he's talking to believers whose uh, names have been written in the book of life. All right. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where um, you read a passage in Isaiah and you just say, okay, has there been, has there been a, a, a period of time where this has existed? Um, and we would say, no, not yet. And it would say, well, okay, well, when, when would this happen? And we know it's not in the ultimate new heaven and new earth um, because in uh, Isaiah 65, um, Verse 20, it says, uh, the young man shall die 100 years old. There's not going to be any dying in the ultimate new heaven and new earth. So we say, well, okay, well, where would this situation exist where everything seems perfect, things play out the way maybe God intended, but yet there is still some death. They would say, well, he must be talking about the millennium. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how, how you land here. Um, so even though uh, this verse... 17, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Uh, the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Um, everything that follows that doesn't fit in the ultimate new heaven and new earth of Revelation. So people would say uh, that he's probably talking about the millennium here. Okay. Turning your scripture to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. G-E, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, let's read the question 7. Will we know each other in heaven as family and friends or just as fellow believers? And will we notice that some family and friends that don't know the Lord aren't there? Or will that memory be erased? Okay, this is kind of overlapping some of the stuff we've talked about, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 um, through 19, okay? Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Let's bear down on, on uh, 
on verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Um, let's look at Luke 15. Uh, Art, Art talked about this. Um, well, we don't have to go there. Art's already talked about it. In the resurrection, um, as we've also read in John 3, we'll be like him. So there's no doubt in my mind, uh, and I think we, based on the scripture here, that we will know each other, families and friends, um, as who they are, and we'll also know family, uh, fellow believers. And whether we know the people who are not there, I think maybe, um, maybe that part has been blocked from my memory, but I don't know the mind of God. Um, on a note, real quickly, go to Malachi. Go to Matthew and then go to the left one chapter and go to the book of Malachi. And we don't talk about this very much at all. Malachi verse chapter 3, verse 16. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attendance, excuse me, attention and heard it. And the book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possessions. I will spare them as they as a man spares his own son and serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Book of Remembrance, we call it rewards. Um, and where that'll happen, um, basically, uh, if you go back to Dr. <clears throat> Larkin's chart, and we've talked about that while tribulation is taking place after the rapture of the church, most uh, theologians have put it in a box that that's when the judgment seat of Christ will be. But the specific answer to this question is, I believe we will know uh, as we're known, as Scripture says. All right. Can I ask Bill? Yes. That was Malachi 3. I'm sorry, I missed the verse. 16 through 18. Thank you. Go ahead, baby. You don't have anything? Okay. Uh, question 8. In Revelation, it was revealed to John, John that the present heaven and earth will be destroyed and replaced with a new heaven and earth. What will be the relation of these two creations since we will be present with God? I assume in one place, whether it be either in the new heaven or the new earth. And Art talked about this when he talked about uh, Revelation 21 where John said he saw heaven, uh, he saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Um, we don't know the details. Now, if you go back to, to Dr. Larkin's chart, uh, you'll see that he has put it between, between the millennium and the new heaven. Uh, so the earth is going to be destroyed. Where are we going to be? We're going to be with Jesus. I don't know where that is. And, and what, what's going to happen there. Where that is. Yeah, exactly. But the question was asked, and, 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 and we're saying that uh, um, uh, it's going to be in a place and he's going to take care, care of us. But as Scripture says, you know, this whole place is going to burn down. And then he's going to create it again. And that's another question. All right. Uh, as I mentioned last week, those of you that weren't here, that there are um, uh, very uh, sharp uh, Bible-believing evangelicals who uh, come down to either side of the question whether or not the, this earth will be totally obliterated and a brand new created, you know, from God's word as the original one was, or whether or not this world will be uh, recreated uh, and redeemed um, into, into what God had originally uh, intended. Um, uh, so there are people who are come down to either side of that. Um, as I said, uh, I love a happy ending where God makes all things new and makes all things right. And so I would come down on the second 
the second one. Okay, question nine. Please address the distinctions between the millennium kingdom age and what we experience beyond that in the new heaven and the new earth. And I think the question about what happened in Isaiah and happened in in uh, in in uh, in the new heaven and the new earth, we've kind of covered. But look, look if we you will to First uh, Corinthians six and. Um, just 1 Corinthians 6, just a couple of verses there. Um, Paul's talking about lawsuits here, but anyway, he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1, does any of you, when he has a case against his brother, dare to go to the Lord before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Verse 2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to con constitute the smallest court of law? So Paul's saying we're going to judge the world. Uh, again, back to Dr. Larkin's chart, he's talking about, and Revelation talks about, the, the great white throne, which is, which is not us, it's not the saints at the great white throne, but it was everybody else is going to have to give account of what they, what they have done on the earth. And the big question is, is their name written in the book of life? And it says the saints are going to be there to judge this situation. All right. Uh. My head's still uh, thinking about the, the last question. Um, so I don't, sorry, I may be about that, but uh, to, just to have a, uh, a verse to go, um, well, let, let me back up big picture wise. The verses that you guys are, have kind of heard over the course of our study um, should start to gel in your mind uh, when you need to go for answers. Uh, so the, the uh, new heaven, new earth, the millennium, you know, Revelation 20, 21, 22, and there you should be thinking about. Uh, you should always be keeping in mind um, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, when you're thinking about uh, uh, the millennium. Um, and uh, one of the passages that we really haven't talked about yet, but is very rich, uh, and that is Romans 8. Um, and I'll quote a little bit of this because I, I think it speaks to the, um, to the notion of uh, God's redemptive power and his ability to recreate what's happened here and to redeem what's happened here. Uh, and that's Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. It says, For I consider the, present, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And here's the key verse. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to the Utility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So here we have this concept that creation itself um, was corrupted uh, in, in the process of the fall. Um, as beautiful as we think our world is, and, and it is because there are echoes of God's hand on it, it pales in comparison to what God originally intended. And the creation is, is literally agonizing, longing to be made right, just as we are longing for things to be right. Every time we sense injustice, every time we sense unfairness, every time we know that things are not the way they should be, um, even more so creation is feeling that and is, and is wanting, it says, to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation wants what we want. And um, it says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then he goes on um, comparing those two. So, um, so God has in something, I think, in mind for this earth. And um, there's a little bit of it. If you want to uh, chase a rabbit, go back to Genesis chapter 9. Uh, this has to do with Noah. And the covenant that God made with Noah about the uh, not destroying the earth, 
It was also a covenant made with creation and with the animals and everything else. So God actually covenanted with the animals. Think about that. So, um, so God has something in mind, I think, for this earth that um, is going to put everything to right again. Okay. Page four is my, my thoughts, but you can read that at your, at your leisure. I want to close today. You know that music touches me. And, and I'm <laughs> the, the 20 minute sermon and the four minute uh, songwriter. Uh, I, I'll kind of lean toward the, the songwriter. Uh, but Art's going to play a, a, a song, and, uh, and I want you to listen to it. And I think it kind of wraps up what we've been talking about these last three Sundays about heaven. Keebler, if you'll hit the lights over there and we'll, we'll uh, meet. While he's doing that and before we play, I just want to re uh, read um, just a small passage connecting um, what we've been talking about with Christmas. Um, it says, we begin at the end, not at the manger, not with the magi offering gifts of worship or the shepherds rejoicing in wonder, not with Mary's visit to Elizabeth or Joseph's angelic dream. We begin not with Christ's first advent, but with his second. Like a mixed up storybook with the chapters all out of order, the season of Advent and indeed the entire Christian year starts with the end. Advent begins with the eschaton, with Christ's power and glory, his righteous judgment, his ultimate victory, and his eternal reign. It shocks us out of our sentimentality about Christmas, inviting us into the far grander and far more expansive story of the cosmos in which the incarnate God, who was laid in a manger and went to the cross, will one day sit on the throne and every knee will bow and every tongue confess the Lord.
and the praise of the Lord. Thank you. You did a great job. I thought it was working. I guess we should turn it off. <laughs> 